All right, kiddos. You guys ready for Children's Church? I hope so. You guys have fun up there. All right, well, guys, if you have your Bibles tonight, why don't we open up to the book of Acts. Tonight we're going to be looking at the rest of chapter 13, starting in verse 44, and reading through chapter 14 and verse 7. So um, 1344 to 147 is going to be our text for tonight. Um, you know, when it comes to people, one thing I'm convinced of is the single greatest danger is this. The single, greater, the single greatest danger I believe people face is choosing to live for the passing pleasures of this life while ignoring the reality of the eternity to come. I just want to say that one more time. I think the, the, the gravest danger that people face in this world are focusing so much on the passing pleasures of this world that they ignore the reality of eternity to come. You know, the Bible is clear that the reality we see before us in this world is just simply not all that there is. In fact, what we know in this present life is just the beginning. It's the beginning of, a, of another eternal reality that, that we're going to face the moment that we take our final breath upon this earth. You know, in that moment, every single person that's ever been conceived in the image of God is going to experience eternity in the midst of one of two different realities, either in the presence of God, experiencing a, a greater joy than we even have the ability to comprehend, or on the other hand, I'll spend eternity in a place of everlasting torment, completely void of the presence of God, experiencing, unfortunately, greater suffering that we could ever comprehend in this life. And as we talk about often, the deciding factor of where people are going to spend that eternity depends fully upon what they do with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will they accept that they're sinners? That's the choice people have to make, right? The Bible says we've all sinned. Will people accept that or will they ignore that? Will they, if they do accept that they're a sinner, will they accept the fact that trusting in in Jesus Christ, His life, death, and resurrection is the only way to forgiveness, is the only way to salvation in heaven. Will they accept that truth or not? And will they go that next step and respond to those truths? What, where people understand that I'm a sinner that needs a Savior, and I understand that Jesus is my only way, therefore I have to place my trust in Him. Jesus, come into my life, be my Lord, and be my Savior. That's a choice that every single person that has ever breathed the breath of life at least since Jesus was around, has to make. As we're going to see demonstrated today as we get back into the book of Acts, the fact is, is that some people will respond to it, but the unfortunate truth is that many won't. Yet, that doesn't take away from the fact that we still have a responsibility to share that truth. Um, let's go ahead and read our scripture for today, and then we will get into it. So, um, Acts 13, starting in verse 44, says this, The following week... Almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous, so they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews, but since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles." 
For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the furthest corners of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message, and all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread through that region. And then the Jews stirred up um, the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. And so they shook the dust off of their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with the joy of the Holy, with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And the same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of, town, of the town were divided in, in their opinion about them. And some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. And when the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Laconia, to the town of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding area. And there they preached the good news. Corey, there is a big reverb of some echo of some sort with this right now. If you could just again on my mic or something. Thank you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing upon our time together. Heavenly Father, thank you again so much for this time of, of worship, this time in your word. Um, I thank you, God, for the, the story of, of, of these men that we can, we can look back to, this Paul and Barnabas and these people in the book of Acts that that we can learn from, these people that were so devoted to you, so devoted to the message of the gospel, so unwavering, Lord, in, in, in their just um, persistence and perseverance and, and making sure they kept moving forward in obedience even though they faced such troubling times. And, and Lord, we are quickly moving back to a time um, that they experienced where it's getting harder and harder to stand for the faith, harder and harder to, to be a Christian, harder and harder to, to speak the truth of your word to people without being ridiculed or mocked or worse. And yet tonight, Lord, as, as we once again learn from them, I just pray we'd be encouraged, that we would be strengthened, that we would see that, that, that there's a power behind the message of the gospel that is outside of ourselves, that, that it is you actually working through the message reaching the hearts and lives of people. And God, give us the boldness to speak and, the, and just the, 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 the grace to be obedient in, this, in this, this mission that you've given us, Lord. Just bless this time in your word. Um, give, us our, give our hearts focus as we focus in on it. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you were here last week, you'll remember that we began looking at what is known as, uh, as Paul's first missionary journey in the book of Acts, as we read there, in which Paul and him, uh, Barnabas, traveled up to Asia Minor, which we kind of today know as modern-day Turkey, and they landed in a city, uh, the city known as Antioch of Pisidia. Well, anyways, while they were there... Um, as we're going to see, it kind of becomes their custom. They, they, they go into the Jewish synagogue when it's time for Jewish church or whatever. On the Sabbath, they would gather similar to what we do. And, and there would be a time during that service where the, the rabbi there would say, does anybody have anything to add? Um, what they would do is they would read some passage of Scripture from the law, which would have been somewhere between Genesis and, and Deuteronomy. And then they would read some passage of Scripture between Joshua and Malachi, as we kind of know in our Old Testament. And after that, they would offer it up to the 
the people to, to see if anybody would want to um, speak on those things. Well, well, we saw last week that, that Paul jumped on the opportunity and he, and he stood and, and he just he began, to, began to speak the truth of the message of Jesus to these people and was just showing them how Jesus was in the Old Testament everywhere. He, he was in the law. The law pointed to Jesus. All the, the prophets pointed to Jesus. And, and he spoke to them and shared the glorious message of, of the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection. And, and then he, he, he told these people to, to don't be hard-hearted essentially, you know. He, he told them, look, you need to respond to this truth. Don't ignore it, but rather respond. Well, the final thing we see last week is that the people didn't respond right away. Rather, they said, let us think upon these things some more. And, and how about you come back next week and speak on these truths um, once again, right? And so that's kind of where we left off last week. And so that's kind of where we jumped in um, here this week was there, right there in 44. Well, as we just read, it wasn't just the people of the synagogue that came back. What we see is that these people had gone out into the city. Like whatever it was that Paul spoke to them exactly, they were so excited about this message and so moved that they went and told people in this city and like almost the whole city came together and gathered. So now Paul really had an audience to speak to. But what became obvious very quickly was that there was a number of people who showed up in that crowd that weren't there for the right reasons. They were there for very nefarious reasons, which were really just to stir up trouble to try to stop this message of Christ coming forth from Paul and Barnabas. Now verse 45 tells us that there, there were some Jews there that, that didn't like the attention that Paul and Barnabas were getting. Uh, and so instead of listening to the words of life that were being spoken um, that could have saved them, they closed their ears, began to argue against Paul, and it says that they began to slander him. Now, more than likely, from my study, when it says they begin to slander him, the idea was they were probably accusing him of this thing called blasphemy. And if you know anything about what that word, really kind of what that is, in, in the mind of a Jew anyways, is the idea of speaking some type of a grave insult against God, against his nature, or against his character. And so many of the Jews had trouble with the message of Jesus because in their mind, we talked about the Shema last week, that phrase they say over and over, to this day, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They had trouble just grasping this idea that, that Jesus was the Son of God. Because in, in their mind, that was impossible, and yet that is what Scripture clearly teaches. So they begin to accuse them of blasphemy, slandering him there in that way. And then in verse 46 and 47, Paul and Barnabas were like, like look, I mean, if, if you Jews want to reject Jesus, I mean, I mean, you can do so at your own peril, but you can do so. But you also need to understand that this message we preach isn't just for you Jews, but it's also for the Gentiles as well. In fact, there in verse 47, where he, he makes those things and kind of the quotes there, where it says, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that's actually a passage from the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6. So 700-some years before Paul spoke this, God spoke this through the prophet Isaiah that the word of life was going to go out to the Gentile nations. And Paul and Barnabas were like, look, we're just obeying God. God spoke about this centuries ago, and we're just now following through on what he said. Well, this didn't make the Jews very happy, obviously. Um, in, in verse 49, it says um, that um, even though they, they tried to kind of essentially boot them out of town, uh, the, the message kept going anyways. Because the people that, that did respond, although there was some Jews that didn't, some people that didn't, there were many people that did. 
And what I love is their response when these people gave their lives to Jesus. They couldn't keep it to themselves. They, they, they had to tell other people about it. It says that the message spread from, from there. What a great response to being saved, isn't it? When you have your life changed, you're so excited about it, you just can't keep it to yourself, and you've and you got to go out there and share this message with somebody else. It's exactly the example we're supposed to follow as people. So verse 50 says that the, some influential people were stirred up, and they had Barnabas and, and Paul ran out of town, out of jealousy, because they were stealing their thunder. <laughs> it's crazy. I was just thinking, you know, just, just a side note, but it really is interesting that almost 2,000 years have passed by since that time, and yet the leader, the, the strategy of, of influential people in society really hasn't changed all that much. Meaning, like, if, if they want something done or an agenda pushed, what do they do? They, they lie and stir up a group of people, and once they have them all riled up, they, they send them out to do their dirty work. I mean, we have seen this in, like, big ways in the last few years, especially, you know, as, as Solomon once said in the book of Ecclesiastes, the, there really is nothing new under the sun. What has been done shall be done again. Um, and, and we kind of see this, you know. But anyways, I'll get off my little soapbox with that and get back to the focus here. Uh, the good news, in it, news is in verse 52, it states that the, the people who were saved were, were full of joy, full of the Holy Spirit. And again, although there were many people who rejected Paul's message, there were many who believed and had their lives changed forever. As for Paul and Barnabas, what did they do? Did they quit? Well, they pushed us out of town. I guess the message is, is done for. Nope, nope, they didn't, they didn't quit. It says they, they left there and they, and they took off to the, and went to the region of Iconium, which was about 80 miles kind of southeast of where Antioch was. And it says when they left, it has this interesting statement that they, they, they shook the dust off their feet as a sign of rejection, and they left that town. Um, John MacArthur, um, pretty well-known pastor, I really like what he has to say about this in his commentary, this idea of shaking the dust off their feet. He says this, The Jews' antagonism towards Gentiles extended to their unwillingness to even bring Gentile dust into Israel. Like, that's how much they despised Gentiles. They looked at them as filthy, as dirty, as unclean, and so they wouldn't even bring their dust back into Israel. So anyways, the symbolism of Paul and Barnabas' act is clear that they considered the Jews at Antioch no better than heathens, and there could have been no stronger condemnation. The idea was this, by Paul and Barnabas shaking their feet as they left, their idea was this, right? You may think you're the chosen people of God, but by your rejection of the message of Christ, you have literally forfeited your privilege of being God's people. You're no better than a heathen Gentile. It's kind of what that picture is to these people. I mean, a profound statement by Paul and Barnabas. Well, what happened in chapter 13, again, seems to be kind of the pattern for Paul's ministry from here on out. Um, we're going to see a really this pattern develop throughout the rest of the book of Acts, where he, he goes a play, to a place and he tries to reach some people. Some respond, some, some don't, and then he's pretty much booted out of town because a lot of people don't like his message. That's clearly what we see as we get into chapter 14. You know, verse 1 starts off by saying that uh, literally the same thing happened to him 
in Iconium. I mean, the exact same response he got back there, he got here in Iconium. As was their custom, they, it was time came for synagogue. Paul and Barnabas go to synagogue and they do their thing. When it was time to speak, they, they stood and speak and began to proclaim the message of Jesus to Jew and Gentile alike. And once again, wouldn't you know, some responded and, and some didn't respond. Some of them got mad and tried to boot them out of town. Verse 2 says that, the, that some of the Jews began to poison the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. It, it really is interesting that just saying no to the message wasn't enough. The, these, these people that rejected the gospel had to go one step further and they had to try to destroy the messenger as well, which is interesting, but it's going to come into play later as we kind of get into the application piece of all this. Well, verse 3, 3 tells us that Paul and Barnabas were not deterred. In spite of the opposition, they stayed there and continued to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And, and, and here it says that, that God even said, look, to these people, I'm going to do some wonders and some signs and some miracles to these people to prove that their message is true. So the Spirit empowered Paul and Barnabas to just do miracles. Again, some believed and some didn't. And once again, there was a mob stirred up and they drove Paul and Barnabas out of town, really with the threat of stoning them. They, they, they didn't want to just drive them out of town. They wanted to kill them. I mean, that escalated quickly, didn't it? Like, we don't like your message, and it's not enough that we're going to boot you out. We're going to take you out, and we're going to kill you. That's what stoning was. They, they would bury him up to their waist or to their shoulders or whatever. They'd start chucking rocks at him until they were dead. I mean, that was uh, one of the ways that they would kill people back then, they could, especially those they considered to be heretics. But verses 6 and 7 tells us that Paul and Barnabas caught wind of the plot and they, they took off to the region of Lyconia, to the towns of Lystra and Derby, where they continued to preach the good news about Jesus. There's just an interesting note about that. This region and these towns that Paul and Barnabas ended up in were in the Roman province of Galatia. As in our new book, the New Testament book of Galatians, like those people there. And Lystra was a city where there was this young man we're going to be introduced to here in a few weeks named Timothy. Now, to me, God's providence really is an amazing thing to behold when you, when you see, look back at how God like orchestrates events. It's really hard to see like in the present looking forward. That's generally not how you see the providence of God. Generally, it's you see a result and then you look back and go, Wow. I mean, God knew what he was doing the whole time. Um, and, you know, I mean, you think about this. Had Paul not been driven out of Antioch and then driven out of um, wherever, the next place, what it was, I forgot. But, sorry, my brain flies all over the place. But when he got driven out of these towns, had, he not, had that not happened, he never would have ended up in these other places, and we may not have had the book of Galatians. We, we may not have had the book of First and Second Timothy and the ministry of Timothy. And it's just the point is, is when it comes to the providence of God, it should give us comfort as God's people that, that he's always in control. Even when it doesn't seem like he's in control, even when it seems like life is spinning out of control, trust me that God has a plan for everything. He, he's the God that works all things for good for those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. Now, anyways, I want to get into some application, just a few kind of takeaways that we think about this passage of scripture that we kind of talked about here. And as, as I was thinking through these things, there's, there's three kind of focuses that I want to talk about in our time. The first one is this, is that when we think about the gospel, this message of Jesus, 
One thing we see all throughout Acts, especially here in our passage today, is that the gift of the gospel is for literally all people. It's not just for the Jew. It's not just for this group of people over here or this group of people over here. Literally, the message of Jesus is for the whole world. You know, when Paul and Barnabas preached, they, they didn't just preach to the Jews. They preached to the Gentiles as well. And you may say, well, duh, we just read that. But, but the idea is this. When, when Scripture says Jew and Gentile, from the mindset of a, of a Jew in that time, right, a first century Jew, when, when that statement Jew and Gentile is made, literally that consists of every person in the world. Because to the Jewish mind, there were the Jews and then everybody else was kind of the idea. And so when it says that Paul was preaching to the Jew and to the Gentile, and the gospel is first to the Jew and then for the Gentile, that statement literally means the gospel is for the whole world. It's for every single person. And like, you know, in, we have a hard time kind of grasping this sometime because of what gets shoved down our throats so often and, and narratives and news and everything else. But in their minds, there was Jew and Gentile. It had nothing to do with what nation they were from or what country they were from or county they were from or city they were from or, or what pigment their skin color was. It had zero to do with any of that back then. It had everything to do with you were either a Jew or you weren't. And so when he talks about the gospel for all um, the Jew and Gentile, literally it means the gospel for, for all people. Now, as was their practice, um, what we see here is that there is this thing that Paul did, that, that the disciples did, was that when they would go to a place, they would preach to the Jews first. Like the Jew was their first and foremost focus, and the Gentile was as well. Now, it, it really wasn't like a thing like where the Jews are more important to the Gentiles, but in their mind, it, it would seem that they were following the example of Christ. Now, Jesus, who did he come as? He, he didn't come as a Gentile. Who did he come as? He came as a Jew. Who did he come for? He came primarily for the Jews, to reach the Jewish people. You, you see that throughout his ministry, that 99% of the people that he dealt with, that he taught, that he ministered to, that he did miracles for, were almost always Jewish people. He, he did some for Gentiles, but the vast majority was for the Jew. And it was clear that the, the, the disciples and the apostles modeled their ministry after Jesus's, but there was also another piece of this that we saw back in Acts chapter 3, where th there seems to be some connection with Israel coming to faith in Christ and the return of Christ. For instance, in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, and I'm going to remind you what it says there. Peter's speaking to the Jews in Jerusalem, and he says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped away, and in end times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah, for he must remain in heaven until the time of the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through the holy prophets. So, I mean, Peter believed this. The disciples believed this. Paul apparently believed this, that, that the reaching of the Jews, the, the nation of Israel coming to faith in Christ, would essentially hurry up the second coming of Christ. And so they, they preached to the Jews first, but also to the Gentiles. Um, we see in Romans 1.16, a verse that I quote often, you know, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto, unto salvation for those who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Gentiles. So this just seems to be the pattern throughout Scripture, that in their ministry, the Jews came first, the Gentiles were secondary, but the gospel was truly for all people. Now, God's heart is that all people would be saved. Unfortunately, they all won't, but I mean, God's heart is clearly in Scripture 
to bring about salvation to all people. Second chapter, Second Peter chapter three and verse nine tells us that that God does not want any to perish, but that all He wants to come to repentance. I mean, that's a pretty clear statement, is it not? The heart of God is that all people would repent and come to faith in Jesus. It brings no pleasure to God to have to send people to hell. His heart is salvation. When you think of, of Jesus, when Jesus died, he, he died for all humanity. His death was sufficient for all people to be saved. But it only applies to those who choose to place their faith and trust in him. And unfortunately, not all people will do that. So, if that's true, and I believe it is, that, that the heart of God is that all would be saved. If it's true that he sent Jesus for the world, for God so loved not just the Jews, not just a handful of the Gentiles, but the world, right? If Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'm going to draw all men unto myself, that's pretty encompassing, right? All means, generally speaking, all. So there's this desire of God that people would be saved. Is there any question why then, if that's God's harsh desire, if that's why he sent Jesus for salvation, is there any question that he really, really wants us to tell people this message? That's what he wants from us. He wants people to share this message because his heart is for the lost. Because he understands in, in his design, that the gospel is the only way that the lost people on their way to hell can go to heaven. It's, it's the only avenue for salvation, is sharing the message of Jesus. So we have to share that message. And, and to share that message, what I'm going to tell you is this, it, it's going to take in us a deep love for God and a deep love for the lost for us to accomplish that mission. You know, what's clear in Paul and Barnabas is bo both of their lives is that their devotion to God was great. They would not be deterred, even through persecution, even in the threat of death. They would not be deterred. Why? Because they were fully and completely devoted to their Heavenly Father. They knew exactly what their mission was and what they were supposed to do, and there would be nothing that was going to deter them, even death. And so they set it in their minds to go and to share this glorious message of the gospel. You know, there's this question that I was thinking about this week, like, what, what can I tell people to do to fall in love with Jesus more? You ever think about that? Like, have you ever been unsatisfied with your devotion to God, like, or unsatisfied with where you're at? You just know that there's, you got to go deeper somehow in your walk with Him because there's more of Him to hold? You ever feel like that? And I, I, I'd ask myself, well, how... What instructions could I give people to get there, to, to, to enter into a deeper relationship with God where they begin to appreciate Him more and love Him more and experience Him more? And here's kind of what I come up with. It's simply in my mind by taking time to truly, truly internalize and appreciate the simple gospel. Well, that's not a very profound thing, is it? Well, it is and it isn't. You know, the gospel is a very, very simple message. That Jesus, the perfect Son of God, came, lived a perfect life, went to a cross, died for our sins, took our punishment, took the wrath of God, died, rose again, and through that we can have salvation if we trust in Him. Ask Him into our life to be our Lord and Savior, to forgive us of our sins. I mean, that's a simple message, is it not? We, we, we speak it all the time. But have you ever just pondered on that truth? 
as simple as that it is, the, it, it is, it is the most profound truth of Scripture. That God would come to earth in the flesh, that as that song we sang, that, that He took the blame for our sin. Even though we were the guilty ones, He says, I'll take the blame. I, I will take the full punishment for their sin. I will take the full force, God, of your wrath upon myself for them. Just stop and ponder on that for a while. We know how guilty of sin we are. We know our hearts and our minds, the things we think about, the attitudes we have. We know clearly those things. But man, when you just ponder upon the goodness of God, ponder on what Jesus did, there's something about that that just stirs the heart. You know, there are a lot of amazing stories in the Bible, a lot of amazing things that we can read and learn from, but can I tell you something? I, I feel, at least in my mind, I'm, I'm more spiritually mature at this point in my life than I've ever been. But can I tell you something? There is nothing that excites my heart more than hearing the gospel. Like when I hear it preached, when I hear an invitation given, when I hear a song that, that, that sings the truth of what Christ has done, there is something that like leaps inside of me. You know what I'm talking about? Focus on the gospel and just re remind yourself of the goodness of God. And, and, and as you do that, your love for Him will grow. I assure you that. But we also need a love for people. I want to read you something that, I want to show you what the Apostle Paul's heart was for the lost. And it's in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. And this is what, let's just listen to what he says here. He says, with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness, my conscience and the Holy Spirit confirming it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. And listen to what he says here. I would be willing to be forever cursed and cut off from Christ if it would save them. Do you grasp what he's saying there? He, he was saying, God, I would willingly endure the eternal hell if you would save these people. Do we love God? Do we love people like that? I tell you what, to my shame... I could not say that honestly. That I'd be willing to take hell for people that are lost. But if we're not there, would, would, he, would we be willing, be, be willing to, to do what Jesus did for us? Would we give our life for the lost? Maybe not even that much. Would we, would we be really willing to be ridiculed or made fun of if it meant reaching some lost people. How much do we love people? How much do we love those people that are unsaved? Something that I pray often, that I, I pray every day because I need work on it. I, I, this is literally what I ask God. I, God, will you crush my heart for the lost? Will you help me to see them as you see them? Because unfortunately, my sinful side gets in the way and I look at the outside and the things that irritate me and annoy me and bug me and say many times I get angry at them and frustrated at them instead of seeing the fact that these are people that are going to spend eternity apart from God. If we're going to be committed to this message of Christ that is for the world, we have to love God and we have to love 
people. Will they all receive it? No. Many people will make excuses. Many people will reject it. These people we saw here in the book of Acts, they rejected the message some out of jealousy. Didn't want to, these guys were stealing their thunder and they didn't like it, so they rejected the gospel because of that. Other ones rejected because they just didn't like the message. They didn't like this idea that, that, that Jesus was the way to salvation. It ticked them off. You know, even still today, some people get angry at the message of the gospel. They don't like being told that they're sinners. Some people, they don't want to give up their sin. They like it. The idea of, I'd be a Christian if I didn't have to follow all the things in that big book, you know. A lot of people don't like the idea of having authority outside of themselves, other than themselves, but friends, the gospel is the only way to salvation, and we have to share it with people. Secondly, I want to talk about the gravity of choosing to reject the message of Jesus. And in verse 46, again, it says that many of the people in Antioch rejected the offer of salvation, and in doing so, they essentially had both judged and condemned themselves for all of eternity. Not only that, but what we can see um, with these people as well as the ones who rejected Jesus in Iconium in chapter 14 is that they didn't just reject the gospel. As I said earlier, they, they like caused problems. Some begin to slander Paul. Others want to stone and kill Paul and Barnabas. Like, what causes that? Well, what causes such vitriol in people when it comes to the message of Jesus? When we think about the gravity of rejecting the message of Christ, it's not just hell, although that has something to do with it, but, but there's far more to it when it comes to people rejecting this message of Jesus. For one, choosing to reject Jesus by people is a choice to, to harden one's heart towards God. When a person says no to the gospel, their heart hardens and eventually will come to the point where it becomes unpenetrable. What I'm convinced of is this, is that every time a person says no to Jesus, the next time they have the offer given, it's going to be harder to say yes. And every time they say no, it becomes more difficult and more difficult and more difficult to say yes to Jesus because their heart is, is slowly being hardened. Hebrews 3, verses, uh, chapter 3 and, and verses 7 through 11 says this, Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when, you, when they tested me in the wilderness. And he says, There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them and I said, Their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. I mean, and he, that, that was the, the writer of Hebrews saying, look, take the example of Israel. Be the rejection of God, rejection of God, rejection of God, and it ended in destruction. That's exactly what happens with people today. Not only that, but choosing to reject Jesus is the choice to give one's mind over to absolute corruption. You think about the people in Acts that it wasn't just enough to say no. They wanted to add sin to that by slandering, persecuting, and, and even trying to have Paul killed. See, when a person rejects Jesus, greater and, some more, and more severe sin is always the result. When people say no to Jesus, the, the sin begins to snowball in people's lives. You know what I mean by snowballs, like a snowball rolling down a hill? 
You may have seen like in cartoons, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger with every single turn that takes place. This is exactly what takes place in people's lives when they choose to reject Christ. James 1, 14 and 15 tells us this, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. Then desire gives birth to sinful action and when sin is allowed to grow, it brings forth death. The end of sin is always destruction. I think of Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, it shows this, this pattern of sin growing. It says, with the Lord's authority, this is Paul writing, I say this, live no longer as the heathens do, the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him, and they have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. It's been, it's been said, I heard this illustration given that, that sin is a lot like a drug addict. I've never experienced it, thank the Lord, but they say that somebody who takes heroin for the first time or meth for the first time, they, they say that that, that that initial experience of that drug is so exhilarating, so amazing that they want to get it back again. And so the problem is, is they can never experience that high they did initially. And so they try the next time, and it doesn't give them the buzz or the high, right? So the next time they go and they, they try a bigger dose and a bigger dose or some different drugs to add to it. And next thing you know, they're completely addicted to these things, always searching for the satisfaction and fulfillment that they experienced, but never finding it. And that's what sin does. Sin is a passing pleasure that will never ever fulfill us the way we think it's going to fulfill us. And, and the reason so many people, the reason we see the world so dark and so evil and so corrupt is because of this point. People searching for fulfillment and identity and all these different things, looking in all the wrong places when the only true fulfillment comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not only will they give their minds over to absolute corruption, but choosing to reject Jesus is a choice to be handed over to Satan's control. We, we shouldn't think that them having this idea to run them out of town or to have Paul and Barnabas stoned was their idea. That was Satan's. They were, they were given over to control of the devil. 1 John 5.19 We know that the children, that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. People who choose to reject Christ have willingly shackled themselves to Satan. Whether they want to realize it or not or think it or not, people that don't know Jesus as Savior are controlled by the devil. That's clearly what Scripture says. Ephesians 2, 2 through 3. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the Spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature, sinful nature, and by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. It's the reality of the gravity of rejecting Christ. And ultimately it ends in destruction because choosing to reject Jesus is choosing to accept God's judgment. Verse 46, since you have rejected the message of Jesus, you have judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. You know, it's been well said that 
God doesn't send people to hell. They go there by their own free will. See, to reject the offer of God's forgiveness through Christ is by default to willingly accept His condemnation. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that, that He, God, made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And if you can just get this picture in your mind for a moment, p- picture Jesus as this giant shield. Like this picture in Scripture that says that we rest under the shadow of His wings. Kind of the idea. Now, picture God's wrath coming down like stones or fire or whatever you want to picture the wrath of God as. I don't know. Lightning bolts. I have no idea. Whatever you want to picture, you picture it that way, right? So the wrath of God is coming down upon all flesh, upon all people, right? Because we've all sinned. Now, there's one way and one, only one way that we can be protected from the wrath of God, and that's to be under the, the shield of Christ. Picture the cross, Jesus as the shield. He bore the wrath of God. He took every, all the punishment. He took the beating, the bruises. He, he took the all for us while protecting us from the wrath of God. And there we will stay for eternity under His protection escaping the wrath of God. But the problem is the people that, that reject Jesus, they're not underneath that protection. They're, they're outside of that shield of Christ, and so they will bear the full weight of the wrath of God on Judgment Day. Friends, the gravity of rejecting Jesus could not be greater. But as we close briefly, I want to talk about the glories of choosing to receive the message of Jesus. You know, it's never fun to talk about the realities of God's judgment, but I can tell you it's a whole other thing to talk about the glories that, that, that we receive as children of God. You know, verse 14, in chapter 14 and verse 1, it talks about how a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. And in verse 38, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. They thanked the Lord. They had joy and thanksgiving in their heart was kind of the idea. that They, they became Believers, they, they received eternal life from the Lord. I mean, these people had their lives changed forever, both in the present and in the life to come. Can I tell you something? Choosing to receive Christ as Lord and Savior is the greatest decision that a person will ever make for a number of reasons. One, it's a choice to have our sin completely cleansed. Cleansed from all of our sin, from all of our wickedness. First John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Completely pure we stand before Him. Secondly, choosing to receive Jesus is the choice to become part of God's eternal family. I love Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 that says this, Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what He wanted to do. And this gave Him great pleasure. See, that's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, excuse me, not chapter 2. Not only that, but choosing to receive Jesus is the choice to escape God's judgment. We talked about that already, but listen to Romans 5, 8, and 9. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And because we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. That's the picture of that shield, completely protected by the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, choosing to receive Jesus is a choice to experience the goodness of God in this life. It's not even just about the life to come. It's about 
You hear the statement, live our best life now? Can I tell you something? The only way that's going to happen is in Christ. That doesn't mean we're going to be free of trial, free of problems, no. But I can tell you the only true satisfaction in this world comes from a relationship with Jesus. Think about Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 where Paul says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Think about that. Every available spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is available to us right now as God's children. Or, or how about Ephesians 3, 16 through 19? He, he prays this. This is Paul's prayer for the people there. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And he says this. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That, my friends, is available right now. And if you're not experiencing that, it's not because it's not available. Seek it. Scripture says when you seek Him with all of your heart, then you will find Him. Seek the Lord because He is able to be found. If you want true fulfillment and satisfaction in your life, it will not come from anything other than through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And finally, choosing to receive Jesus is a choice to experience the fullness of God's goodness, not just in this life, but for eternity. Just briefly, Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. I just love this picture of what we have to look forward to. This is John the Apostle writing, and he says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now amongst his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, for all of these things are gone forever. Just think about what's to come. I mean, we're... It's hard because even in my mind, like, I know what Scripture says. I realize that I'm going to heaven. And, but it's so hard to focus on that when all we know is this. It's so easy to let the trials of this life and the frustrations of this world get us down, get us frustrated or irritated or angry. But friends, what if we just kept our eyes fixed upon that truth? That there is coming a day when we're not going to experience any of this trouble, any of this trouble anymore, but only the goodness of God. And I've often said this, but one of the amazing things to me about Scripture is of, of all the things that Scripture is extremely vague on, like there's just not a lot written about it, it's heaven. You ever think about that? Of all the things that's just really not spelled out very well in Scripture, it's what we're going to experience in heaven. About the only thing we know, truly know. I mean, there's a brief picture at the end of Revelation. But 1 Corinthians 2.9, the Apostle Paul says this, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, what God has in store for those who love Him. Think about that. It is beyond our wildest imaginations what we are going to experience, not for five, ten, a thousand years, but for all of eternity. 
experience the greatest fulfillment of, of the, that God created us to experience forever with Him. Friends, you will never regret giving your lives to Jesus. He's our great hope, our great salvation, and our great fulfillment. We are on the winning side. Christ has already won the war. Let's just stand firm and let's do our job until we meet Him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for this day and this time and your word and just for this encouragement from the life of Paul and Barnabas. Lord, I'm thankful for men like him that Men like them, Lord, that, that, that gave so much that the message reached us to this day. Lord, they were, I know Paul and the apostles, if they had said no to the mission, we, we would be lost. Father God, there are so many people that are out there that don't know you. And, and the only thing that is standing between them and hell is us who have the message that can save them. God, will you give us boldness? Will you give us strength? Will you give us perseverance? Help us to be willing to endure mockery or even persecution or even death if it means saving some from eternity separated from you. God, give us grace. Give us strength. Now we just ask this, Lord, as we close, that if there's anybody in here tonight that that has never chosen to receive Christ as Savior. If there's anybody in here tonight that if they were to, to pass from this life on the way home from this place, and, and, and if they were to stand before you and you asked them that question, God, if you asked them that question, why should I let you in my heaven? If there's anybody sitting here tonight that doesn't know the answer to that question, I pray tonight that they would find the answer to that question. The only answer to that question is this. God, your word tells us that we have sinned against you and that we need Jesus as our Savior. And Father, I know when I stand before you, my answer to that question is going to be, I deserve hell, but I receive Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Therefore, I'm forgiven. And God, by the power and the authority of your word, you're going to say, come in and experience what I have for you, Lord. That's what, that's what your word says. Experience your master's happiness. So God, if there's anybody here tonight that has never made that decision tonight, I just pray that they would, that they would call out to you in faith and just confess that they have sinned, just, just confessing that they need Jesus to come into their life to be their Lord and Savior, that they would just choose this moment of this day to say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Come in and I want to live for you. Let them make that decision tonight. Lord, I praise you and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me close tonight. We're going to stand and sing. Um, a song um, probably be familiar to most people but you know if, if you've received Jesus as Savior already sing this song as, as praise for what it said because you, you've already experienced what this song is offering but if you're here and you don't know Christ or even unsure about that I, I invite you to respond as, as, we, as we sing this well, let's stand together